Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tunva in Thornton, Colorado. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with prayer. Avinu Makinu, our Father, our King, Lord, we are delighted to know that you have promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we uh, take these times together seriously, and so for that reason we seek your face. We seek your spirit. We seek your wisdom and your guidance during these times of gathering. Uh, Lord, we ask that you'll continue to uh, protect us during these last and evil days that we live in. We pray that you'll continue to, to strengthen us and give us a resolve to do what is right, to follow after your word, to, to hide ourselves uh, in you, to, hide, our, uh, uh, to um, hide your words in our heart so that we might not sin against you. Lord, we know that uh, only as we take a stand for righteousness will we be able to make a difference in this dark world, in this, in this evil generation that, has, uh, that is uh, really just spiraling out of control, the insanity uh, and, in, the, uh, in the, uh, the political system, in the social system, in the religious system. Uh, Lord, if, if we do not place our, our trust in you and keep our eyes focused on you, uh, Lord, then we will get washed away into the, in the tide of unrighteousness that is all around us. And so, Lord, help us to anchor our souls on the Messiah, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and so that we may run the race strongly and run the race and finish, uh, finish the race, Lord. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that you will bless us during this study time. I pray that you will continue to help me to uh, uncover, uncover truth as I... Uh, dig in into the book of Galatians and uncover the words that Paul has penned for us. Uh, help us to know its relevance for us uh, during this uh, modern age, uh, even though the words are nearly 2,000 years old. We know that uh, by your Spirit they are still alive and that they are still relevant for us. Or indeed, you have said, uh, you've written, uh, that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we know that it is a living, breathing document. And it is by your Ruch HaKodesh that, is, that it comes alive to us. So help us not to forget that fact. Uh, be with each and every student who's joined me. I pray that you'll give them a supernatural ability to uh, hear with ears of faith and to see with eyes opened by your very hand. I pray that you'll also give us uh, the strength to apply the things that we are learning. 
uh, and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory of Hashem Yeshua. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for joining me tonight. Um, let's date stamp the recording. Uh, today is February 25th, 2017, and this is week 54 of our study to the book of Galatians. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm a Torah teacher over at Congregation Kehilat Tunavat in Thornton, Colorado. Love to have you come out and join us someday on a Saturday if you can. Um, go out to our website at www.graftedin.com and you can get uh, details on service times, uh, sermons, audio audio sermons that are recorded by Pastor Mark McClellan, uh, the senior pastor there, as well as you can find uh, the uh, written commentaries that I produce for the weekly tour portions. Uh, those are available there. However, um, for the Galatian commentary, I, I want to strongly recommend that you head out to my own personal website at www.tetzetorah.com, T-E-T-Z-E, T-O-R-A-H dot com. And uh, right on the homepage, you should be able to find a link near the top that says Galatians Commentary. You can click on that and just scroll down, find the written notes. There's also a link there uh, for the live uh, internet teaching that we produce every week, about an hour long or so. And each commentary or each teaching that's rec that is that uh, is um, that we uh, 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 meet with each week, each each teaching is recorded so you can go back and listen to the audio version if you're not able to meet us live each week but i encourage you to meet us each week uh, we meet every week from um 7 p.m to about 7:45 p.m central standard time okay all right that being said let's open some liturgy for this evening uh we're going to be starting a new verse uh genesis uh, i'm sorry galatians 3 6 and we're going going to be starting a new topic about this man Abraham so let's turn in the Torah to Genesis 15 and I'm going to read just verses 1 through 6 just a short section there and we'll read the English out of the ESV and then we'll read the Hebrew and then I'll jump over to Galatians 3 and starting in verse Six will uh, actually we'll probably just read verses one through six or something like th that as well. So the first six verses I think in Galatians will kind of capture what I'm trying to share. All right, uh, for those of you who are in the class with me live via Skype, um, I've got uh, Genesis 15 pulled up for you uh, on the on the uh, web page, so you don't have even have to turn in your Bibles to it. By the way, I apologize. We missed two full weeks. Uh, in case you can't tell, my voice is sounds maybe a little deeper it's because i just recovered from um a cold followed by laryngitis or laryngitis followed by cold and they just hit me back to back double whammy and the bad bad part is uh for my work i have to talk every day so my recovery was really really slow because i don't have anyone to substitute for me at work i'm the only one who, who does what i do at my work so it was pretty rough recovery this time two full weeks but Bezrat uh, Hashem, by God's grace, uh, I'm feeling a lot better, and so uh, if if you'll pardon any sniffles or anything that you might hear, uh, <laughs> me go through. Okay, uh, Genesis 15, 1 through 6 reads, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, for I, uh, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. 
But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And we're going to really kind of zero in on this last verse, the last pasuk, verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's going to be the focus of our topic tonight. Let's uh, pull some Hebrew. Verse 1. Verse 2. Vayomer Avram Adonai Hashem Ma Titen Li Vaanochi Holech Ariri Uven Meshech Beiti Hu Da Mesech Eli Etzer. Of course, that's uh, uh, Eliezer of Damascus. Verse 3 Vayomer Avram Hain Li Lo Natata Zara Vahine Ven beti yoresh uti. Verse 4. Vahine davar elive le mor. Lo yirashcha ze kiim asher yitse mimeyacha hu yirashcha. Verse 5. Vayotse otoh ha chutza vayomer habetna hashamaima usfor. Ha kochavim im tuchal lispor otam va yomer lo ko yie zar echa. And the final pasik, verse 5, the one we're really going, to, I'm sorry, verse 6, the one we're really going to um, highlight in tonight's commentary. Ve heemin ba Adonai va yach sheveha lo tzedeka. And this phrase, um, counted to him as righteousness. That's kind of where we're going to zero in on. We're going to focus on what does it mean that God reckoned or counted this to him? Counted what, by the way? What's the what's the subject? It's the belief in the very first part, the vehemin, uh, where we get the same, the same root word that we get um, aman is the same root word that we get uh, amen from. So Abraham believed it, right? He placed his faith in the Lord or in the word of the Lord more specifically. So let's jump over to Galatians 3. Sorry for butchering the Hebrew there. Just couldn't get into the Hebrew mindset for some reason. Let's see if I can do any fare any better in the Greek. Uh, sometimes Greek is Greek to me and the Hebrew sounds smooth and sometimes it's the opposite. All right, uh, Galatians 3 verses 1 through, and we're just going to read through verse 6 again, just six verses. ESV reads, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Okay. Really, the context continues, uh, verse 7 through 9, talking about Abraham, but I'm just going to stop there because of uh, because Paul leaves off with the with a quote from the Genesis passage that we just read, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we want to kind of tie in the two passages together strongly in my commentary. All right, the Greek reads, O anaitoi galatai tis humas baskinen, te aletheia me pethestai hois kat aphthalmus, Jesus Christas proegrafe estar romanos, verse 2, Tuta manan thelo mathein af humon ex ergonamu top numa alabete e ex aquis bistios. Verse 3. Hutos anoitoi este en arx amanoi punumati nun sarki epateleste. Verse 4. Tosauta epathate eke ege kai eke. Verse 5. Ha un epicorigon, human to penuma kai in ergon dunamis in human, ex ergon namu ex a ex acois pistios, and the final pasuk verse six, which in the Greek I think continues uh, with verse seven, eight, and nine, but we're just going to stop with verse six. Katos Abraham epistusin to theu kai elogiste auto es all right, so we'll stop there in the Greek. Okay, let's jump over to the commentary. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to kind of go in a little bit of a different direction. Uh, the, um, the commentary as of late has really been kind of digging into the theological background behind the idea of works of the law. And as we're moving into chapter 3, we're seeing that Paul is really questioning um, the the motives of his readers. Why is it you're doing what you're doing? Are, are are you falling for the same ethnocentric Jewish exclusivism that the first century Jewish people were uh, teaching? Not only there the Jews, but were uh, selling, trying to sell to the Gentiles who are Gentiles who are wishing to be counted as righteous in God's sight. Paul is going to begin to wonder out loud: Are you really, really beginning to entertain the idea? that righteousness is bound up with ethnicity and group membership in the people known as Israel? Or are you really going to fall back to the, the, the once and for all delivered faith that I know you know, I know you know the truth, Paul would, would appeal to them, that the grace of God is, is, is meted out to a person who places his genuine faith in the Son of God, namely Yeshua the Messiah, and that you cannot place your faith in your ethnicity or your people group uh, uh, allegiance, or even your your merits, your good works, your your the works of the law, the covenantal nomism that was uh, being uh, uh, pushed in that day. We could really see this as a generic teaching on works versus law, but I don't see that that's the best way to understand the passage, at least from for for its most um, reason, carefully reasoned argument. We could make a sermon out of it, and for most Christians today, I like I'm fond of saying that. Most people don't really have a pre most Gentiles, I believe, 
Most Gentiles that you meet, both saved or unsaved, don't have a preoccupation with trying to keep the Torah for any sort of meritorious purpose. This seems to be kind of an exclusively Jewish preoccupation when we're talking about Torah obedience. Uh, as such, I'm fine with pastors teaching that Paul is is essentially combating merit theology or works-based uh, righteousness because the world in, at large, the world in general, doesn't really care to try to open up the pages of the Torah and try to uh, seek any sort of works of the Torah, works of the law, in order to be counted as righteous. Nor would um, your average messianic uh, seek to misuse the Torah that way as well. But we have to try to put ourselves back into the first century mindset as we're studying through these notes. So I think it's helpful. Um, uh, go back and study the, the, the previous commentaries in case you're not following where I'm going with that. But let's turn now for the next probably five or six pages in my commentary. I kind of go off on this. Uh, you could call it a tangent if you want, but uh, I see it as a kind of an excursus, a, a necessary um, inside peek into the background, into the mindset of Abraham and this, this uh, exchange with the word of the Lord that we read about in Genesis 15 just a moment ago. Um, really, I'm going to begin to ask the, this question, who or what? is this mysterious word of the Lord, this Devar Adonai that we just read about in Genesis 15. And how is it that Abraham, Abraham's believing in the promise, how is it that God is able to see into his heart and credit this faith as righteousness? Was it, was it like some would teach a kind of a generic faith in God? Is that really what's going on? If that's the case, then really traditional Judaism, both in Paul's day and today, really has a case to be made that we don't need faith in Messiah to be counted as righteous. We have faith in God, and that is credited to our account as righteous the way God credited Abraham's faith in him as righteous. You see the, the point I'm about to, or the, or the, the, uh, the argument I'm about to raise here. Was Abraham's faith generic, or was it something else? I believe, I'll just tip my hand a bit, I believe that his faith in God wasn't merely generic faith in God. I think it was really focused. I think Abraham was given a glimpse into the future of um, not only his offspring, but uh, the future of his own, uh, uh, the, 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 the quintessential son of Abraham, meaning namely Yeshua. And I think that uh, it, there was an inter interchange between not just God, but what we like to say is the word of God, the word of the Lord. And if, if we could kind of leverage uh, John chapter 1, where we know that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then jump down to verse 16, where John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know then, with Christian hindsight, that the word of the Lord is in fact Yeshua. It's Yeshua. The word of the Lord is Yeshua. So, I believe that Abraham's dialogue with the word of the Lord in Genesis 15 can be uh, can be a case. I think a case can be made that Abraham didn't just place generic faith in God, the way that say millions of people say that they have faith in God, and 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 in a sense they really do have faith, at least at least what they're trying to attempt to to uh, create as faith. But I don't think that was the case with Abraham. I think it was a little more than that. So let's read my commentary. I don't think we're going to get through all six part through uh, six pages that deal with this this section. But we'll take a bite out of it, and we're going to go till about uh, till about forty five. So for about the next twenty five minutes or so, 
And then, um, as I've mentioned in, in the past, if, for those of you who are in the live commentary with me, if you want to stay with me uh, after about 45 after or so, we'll close the commentary, but we'll open the microphones up for you to discuss what we've been talking about, or you can just bring your own questions, or we can just share with each other on any topic that you wish. So it's kind of a opportunity that's made available only to the live students, those who are available with me in the Skype uh, room with me tonight. Okay, so for that reason, I invite, invite you to come out if you want to join me in the live discussion each week. Okay, we're in my commentary on uh, near the top of page 105, and we'll start in Galatians 3, 6. Uh, uh, Paul says, quote, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And what Paul is going to begin to do is he's going to begin to make an appeal to the Galatians that Abraham was the model of faith. Now here's, here's the, the interesting twist to this whole thing just before I get started. The, the influencers, right? These were Paul's detractors, the, the people that Paul was kind of combating with his theological teaching. They held to the opposite view, as it were, that um, membership in Israel was dependent upon ethnicity. Essentially, it was dependent upon maintenance of Torah, because uh, as I see it in Paul's day, uh, not only was Jewish identity tantamount to covenant membership, but also uh, possession of Torah was tantamount to Jewish identity. So we got kind of these three important concepts that were all kind of glued together in the in the minds of the first century Jews of Paul's day. We had Torah obedience, we had Jewish identity, and we had covenant membership. And the three were kind of a package deal. You couldn't neatly separate them from one another. And so it's important for us to realize that when we're trying to understand what the motivation was for for Jewish people in Paul's day to continue to keep Torah, part of it was, was the idea that they believed that covenant membership was bound together with Torah maintenance and Torah obedience. But at the same time, Jewish identity itself was bound to Torah obedience and Torah maintenance. And covenant identity was, was Jewish identity. They were kind of one and the same. So in this worldview... There was really no room for a well-meaning Gentile to become a part of the people group known as Israel. And there was certainly no place for a Gentile uh, read, read as a pagan in Paul's day. There was no place for a Gentile to embrace the Torah of Moshe until he took on legally recognized Jewish identity. And it had to be in that it had to be legally recognized. He couldn't just go around and call himself a Jew and start to keep the Torah. The Torah was really kind of hijacked by the Jewish people in the sense that they were micromanaging how you, one should keep it. There was this really, really strong um, uh, understanding uh, that you, one could not understand the written Torah without the assistance of the oral Torah. Uh, they were, they were uh, really struck together in the minds of, of the first century Jews. Even, and it's still kind of that way today. Uh, the, the rabbis teach today that basically your average Jew can't understand the written Torah without the assistance of the oral Torah, the oral tradition that's been handed down supposedly from Moshe from one generation to the next. And so it was the same thing in Paul's day. So we get this idea of the works of law capturing not only this idea of Jewish ethnicity for uh, for the Gentiles who wanted to be counted as, as uh, covenant members and, be, and then thus be counted as righteous, but also this idea of works of the law captured the idea, the force of the um, of the uh, uh, the traditions of the elders, the, the sayings of the fathers, the oral tradition, the halakha 
of the sages that was gaining increasing popularity in Paul's day. And so um, the, the, the works of law kind of singled out uh, various parts of the, of the Torah, you know, circumcision, the Sabbath, the dietary restrictions, things like that. And whatever group you want to, to belong to, whether it be the Qumranis or the, the Jerusalem group, you know, whether you lived a little farther out from Jerusalem, whatever Jewish group you wanted to join, if you were a Gentile and you, you had to go through a conversion package and then you had to take on the works of the law that was unique to that group. Kind of like today's uh, Christian denominations. If you want to join a, gr a church, you kind of uh, commit yourself to whatever church bylaws that they uphold whatever church holocaust, if I could uh, insert that word into this discussion, you know how it is. So um, this way you, 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 you're, you're visibly identified by the denomination that you, you join, that you have membership with. People can tell that you're a member of the group by the things that you do, the, the holocaust that you walk in. So it wasn't really much different in Paul's day. Same thing. All right, let's keep reading. Uh, Genesis 3.6, which, I'm sorry, Galatians 3.6, which is a quote from Genesis 15.6. Uh, Paul says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. All right, let's read my commentary. Throughout his letters, the Apostle Paul seems to take great interest in Abraham, referring to him no less than 29 times. If we look at footnote number 91 in my commentary, we'll see that there's a, a quite a lengthy list of uh, verses from Romans and Galatians and Second Corinthians as well as Hebrews, if we were to assume that Paul wrote Hebrews. So um, James Yaakov, I say, also makes use of Father Abraham in chapter 2 in verses 21 through 23 of his letter there, and he goes so far as to bring the binding of Isaac into the equation for us. So I think it's important to realize that for Yaakov, uh, in this, as we can kind of compare against Paul, for Yaakov, Avraham's faith was perfected by his corresponding actions. Understand? Abraham's faith is vindicated by his actions, so his works vindicate his faith. Germane to our study, however, uh, here in Galatians, is the phrase credited to him as righteousness is penned by Moshe in Breshit, which is Genesis 15.6, and of course referenced by Shaul, Paul, in Romans 4.3. So, Keep in mind that when Paul is bringing in Abraham as his example of faith, um, he uses Abraham in, in, in Galatians, and he uses Abraham in uh, uh, Romans, and he uses him prominently for the simple fact that Abraham is the model of faith for us to imitate. He's the model of faith for us to, to pattern our life after, because Abraham becomes the father of our faith for both Jews who have genuine faith in, in God, which is genuine faith in Messiah. But Abraham also becomes the model of faith. He comes, becomes the father of faith for those Gentiles who place their genuine faith in God, which is genuine faith in Messiah. And here's, here's the rub. Here, here's the unique twist. The, the, I believe that the influencers of Paul's day were also using Abraham as the model of faith. But Paul's going to turn their example on its head because they were seeing that Abraham was perfected by his works in the sense that Abraham became a Jew or Abraham took on Torah obedience. Abraham became circumcised, which kind of secured Abraham's Jewish identity and thus secured Abraham's covenant membership. And then the influencers are going to point to Abraham 
and say to any Galatian Gentiles wishing to be counted as righteous, they're going to say, look, see, Abraham became circumcised and then Abraham was counted as righteous. And of course, the influencers are getting the whole sequence backwards, right? They're getting the cart before the horse because they don't, they fail to realize that, yes, it is true that Abraham became circumcised, but Paul's going to masterfully point out that when was Abraham credited as righteous? Was it before he was circumcised or was it after he was circumcised? And so as you're reading through Galatians chapter 3, like we're going to be doing for the next few weeks, I strongly suggest that you keep your thumb in Galatians 3 and read Romans chapter 4 right along with Galatians chapter 3 because both of them have uh, Abraham as the, the one of the primary uh, topics. Uh, of course, in Romans chapter 4, um, Paul also brings in David, King David. But Abraham becomes this model for us to look at. So let's read through my commentary. And we're going to kind of focus on this idea of the righteousness of Abraham and the exchange of Abraham with not just God, but the word of God, or not just uh, Adonai, but the word of Adonai, the Davar Adonai. And I think this is going to be an interesting, it, it is a kind of a, a, a side trail, a kind of a rabbit trail, a, 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 a what do we call it, a, um, um, a, a, a tangent in my within the running uh, notes of my commentary, but let's just read it. I don't think I need to pause a lot. I'm, I'm putting all my comments up front right now. I think I'll be able to kind of read through and not have to stop them not a lot. So let's just read and see how far we get for the next 15 minutes. All right, let's pull a quote from Genesis 15:6 again. Uh, I'm sorry, from Romans 4:3 because we're going to see that uh, Paul is going to quote this passage in. Um, uh, this passage from Genesis 15:6. He's going to use it a few times in his commentary. Uh, before I get started, let me just jump over to Skype and make sure everything's okay. All right, let's making sure, seeing that some other students have joined in. All right, looks good. All right, <clears throat> hope everyone can hear me okay, and hope everyone can uh, see the screen. All right, let's go. Um, referencing Genesis 15:6, which says. Uh, I'm sorry, re referencing Romans 4, 3, which says, For what does the Tanakh say? Avraham put his trust in God, and it was credited to his account as righteousness, end quote. All right, so Paul just quoted Genesis 15, 6 twice. He's got, he's got this quote from, Gen from Galatians 3, 6, and then he's got a quote in Romans 4, 3, and they're both essentially the same quote, right? Abraham put his trust in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Given this location within Paul's arguments, right, both from Romans and Galatians, we can see that it's clear that the phrase is really referring to imputed righteousness. Imputed. What does this mean? It's a fancy phrase that means salvation-based righteousness, the kind that's uh, uh, credited to us on behalf of Messiah's account, right? Messiah is the one who who is the one who is rich, and we are the ones who are bankrupt. Therefore, Messiah, Messiah's um, righteousness is transferred to us uh, via faith, via, via the vehicle of faith. And so this is an imputation, and, and it is positional righteousness. It's forensic right standing with Hashem. It's, to use modern 21st uh, first century language, it's simply salvation, I think, that, that uh, Paul is trying to get us to see. And I think it's axiomatic for Paul that Moshe describes this quality of, of Avraham. He describes it chronologically before Avraham receives the covenant of circumcision in Bereshit chapter 17. So that's that's where we're going to start going, 
it's here in Genesis 15 that Abraham's called righteous. In other words, that he's called saved. But it's not until Genesis 17 that Abraham received circumcision. So, Paul is aware of this. Paul's aware of the chronology. And he's going to use this to show the influencers that Abraham's salvation came while he was a Gentile. That's essentially what Abraham's going, what Paul's going to do by bringing in Abraham as the example. And as such, this becomes the... Um, this becomes the reason why the Gentiles in Paul's day do not have to undergo a conversion to Jewish identity because just like Papa Abraham, they too can be counted as righteous, i.e. they too can be saved and be called genuine covenant members while they are Gentiles. There's no need to add Jewish identity to the, the equation because God already recognizes them as righteous. So, uh, when we look at the sequence of events from Genesis, from Genesis 15 to 17, I believe that this bespeaks of the correct order in which to appropriate the covenant responsibilities of God. And this includes not only circumcision itself, but it's also going to include later on a discussion on the um, responsibility of Torah obedience. So what we could do is we could compare two views. On the micro, that is on the smaller level, Saving faith in God, symbolized by God of accrediting Abraham's account as righteous, right? We saw that Hebrew word tzedakah, righteous. Uh, this this uh, saving faith uh, precedes the patriarch's obedience to the sign of circumcision, which we have to remember it was read here as Jewish identity by Paul's detractors. Got a typo there. It says here as in here, but should be H-E-R-E. So, for Paul, on the micro, saving faith precedes Jewish identity. That's on the micro. But on a macro, if we kind of blow the picture up, on the larger picture, the covenant of Avraham itself precedes the covenant with Moshe. So, we've got kind of two pictures in view, a small picture and a large picture. So, Abrahamic covenant, which is typified in the Genesis narratives in 15, 16, 17, etc., the Abrahamic Covenant, if we could kind of just pinpoint the sign of the Abrahamic Covenant, which is Genesis 17's circumcision dialogue, we could see that if we compare that, if we kind of step away from the from the first five books of Moshe and get kind of a, tele, a, 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 a kind of a zoom out view, kind of like you would do in Google Maps, right? Zoom out so you can see the bigger picture. If we look at Genesis, we see the covenant with Abraham. And then if we look at Exodus, uh, particularly say Exodus chapter 20, we see uh, the covenant of, with Moshe, where, where we have uh, the giving of the Torah and things like that. And the Sabbath is introduced in, say, Exodus 20, verse 8. Uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So the sign of the Abrahamic covenant is, is circumcision. That's way over in Genesis 17. But the sign of the Mosaic covenant is uh, the Sabbath, you know, keeping Torah. So what is the sequence? Well, anyone can see that Abraham precedes Moshe. Abraham comes first. And so it's really circumcision that comes before keeping the Torah. But what kind of circumcision? What kind of circumcision? It's circumcision not only of the flesh, but it is circumcision of the heart. And so then we go back down to the micro and we see that it is this circumcision of the heart that well, the, the, you know, the crediting account as righteous, that's the circumcision of the heart. That, is, that precedes the, even the physical circumcision of the flesh. And, the, and the, the, the sequence is vitally important for Paul because he thinks, in fact he knows, that the influencers have gotten the sequence backwards. 
Okay, it's not that they couldn't read the Torah, it's just that they were misunderstanding the, the, the theological significance of how they're supposed to be read. Okay, I'm talking too much. Let's read my commentary. I apologize. Thus, I continue, thus we can infer that Shaul brings Avraham into the argument here in Genesis, I'm sorry, in Galatians, uh, to show to his Gentile readers that forensic righteousness, as well, he, he needs to show to his Jewish readers, that forensic righteousness, salvation, is conferred to those who are not circumcised as well as to those who are red, Jew, and Gentile, respectively. So, the circumcised are the Jews, and the uncircumcised are the Gentiles. And so, we know that Paul has this in view, because he's, he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's really going to flesh this out in Romans chapter 4, if you were to read it as a commentary to, J, to Galatians chapter 3. So, let's keep reading. Top of page 106 in my notes. And look at this quote from Romans 3.29, where Paul cryptically says, Or is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, he is indeed the God of the Gentiles. End quote. Interestingly, he also has Romans 4.9-12 uh, in this quote that I'm going to pull. Interestingly, Paul brings together this idea of Jew and Gentile and the idea of, was, was Abraham... Did, was Abraham counted as saved when he was a Jew or a Gentile? And it, it's, I, I think it's so painfully clear to me. I say painfully because it's painful to those who don't understand it. But it's, it's, it must be painfully clear, made clear uh, to the detractors that Paul is right. Let's read this quote from Romans 4, and then we'll see how it works into our study on uh, uh, Galatians here. Um, now, is this blessing for the circumcised only? Right? Uh, when we start out Romans 4, 9, it sounds identical to Romans 3, 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is this blessing for the circumcised only? Remember, the word circumcised in Paul's day was kind of a, a, a metonym for the phrase Jewish identity. So Paul's really saying, now, is this blessing for the Jews only? It's the same thing he just said. Or is it also for the uncircumcised? And the word uncircumcised there was a metonym for the Gentiles, i.e. those who are not Jews. So, Or is it also for the Gentiles? And then he goes on to explain himself. For we say that Abraham's trust was credited to his account as righteousness. There's our Genesis 15:6 passage again. But what state was he in when he was so credited? Right? In other words, was he a Jew or was he a Gentile when he was saved? Paul goes on to explain himself. Circumcision or uncircumcision? In other words, was he a Jew or was he a Gentile? Not in circumcision. In other words, not as a Jew but in uncircumcision, i.e. as a Gentile. In fact, he, speaking of Abraham, he received circumcision as a sign, as a seal of the righteousness. Now here he uses the word circumcision, not as Jewish identity, but merely as the physical act. Right? You have to really understand from context, Paul can use the same Greek word multiple times in one verse, and he doesn't necessarily mean the same thing with the same Greek word, you have to go from context. In other words, Paul's not saying, in fact, he became a Jew as a sign. That's not what Paul means. Instead, he's talking about just... The, he's, Paul jumps back down into the real meaning of the word circumcision rather than the, the hijacked version of the word circumcision like the Jews had in his day. And he received this sign as a sign... This, 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 uh, 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 he received circumcision as a sign, as a seal of the righteousness he had been credited with on the ground of the trust that he had while he was still uncircumcised. In other words, Paul is kind of sewing Genesis 17 and Genesis 15 back together again. 
And this happened, Paul goes on to say in Romans 4 here, this happened so that he could be the father of every uncircumcised person, uh, in essence, and of every Gentile, who trusts and thus has righteousness credited to him, right, comma, and at the same time, Paul says, be the father of every circumcised person, i.e. of the Jews, who not only had a brit milah, this is David Stern's version, a brit milah is just the Hebrew term for circum, uh, covenant of circumcision. So, uh, Paul says that Abraham is the father of every Jewish person who's not only been physically circumcised, but also follows in the footsteps of the trust which Avraham Avinu, which is Abraham our father, had while he was still a Gentile, i.e. while he was still uncircumcised. End quote. This is such a wonderful passage. I could spend all day in, in, in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3 because it, it, it is essential, it is crucial for our proper understanding of, of these, these three concepts that I mentioned earlier in my commentary. Jewish identity, covenant membership, and Torah obedience. These three concepts that were vitally important in Paul's day and which so many Jewish people of today uh, sadly misunderstand and misappropriate uh, because of their first century misunderstanding that is that is kind of uh, promulgated down to this very day. For 2,000 years, the Jewish people at large, the Jewish community, traditional Judaism, has not fully understood how these three work together, Jewish identity, covenant, genuine covenant membership, and uh, thus Torah obedience. They don't understand really how they fit together. Uh, and because of their misunderstanding, um, uh, they, they'll never, ever really be able to understand the genuine righteousness of God. All right, let's keep reading my commentary. So, we in the church... Oddly enough, we, we, we really do understand genuine covenant membership, and you would think that we would understand then the applicability of Torah obedience, but sadly, only one of the three do we kind of fully understand. We, we still, in the church, kind of misunderstand Jewish identity and Torah obedience and how they all fit together with genuine covenant membership. At least I think we do in the church. If I can take my cue from the Christian commentaries that, I'm, that I can read in today's Bible bookstores. Okay, let's keep reading my commentary. We know that Abraham was counted as righteous as a Gentile. We know that Paul sees that circumcision didn't change his identity from, from really uh, uh, unrighteous to righteous. We know that circumcision was added. He received circumcision as a sign or seal of the righteousness he already had. So circumcision didn't give him the righteousness. It was a sign of the existing righteousness. But... Abraham did go on to uh, to become the father of the Jewish people. And, and there's a little bit of a sense that circumcision then it, it, it adds a little bit of Jewish identity. Not, not fully. It's not that Abraham became a Jew when he became circumcised. Rather, circumcision became the sign of a covenant that God was making with Abraham and his offspring who would later be identified as Israel viz the Jewish people. So, you're not hearing me say that a, that circumcision equals Jewish identity. I don't think that's the case. However, Abraham is the father of the Gentiles, and he is the father of the Jews. It's Really, we could just say it this way. He's the father of the uncircumcised peoples, those who have genuine faith in God, and he's the father of the circumcised peoples, 
those who also must have genuine faith in God, but it, but also he's the father of those who are physically circumcised, whether they have genuine faith in God or not. Did I lose anybody? I hope I didn't lose anybody there. All right, let's keep going. What is it, though, about the narrative of Genesis that leads Moshe to finally declare Abraham as righteous at this juncture? Right? I'm going to keep reading down to about page 107. All right, so let me just read through this page for a moment, and then we'll stop the commentary. What is it about the narrative of Genesis that leads Moshe to finally declare Abraham or Abraham, Avram or Abraham, as righteous at this juncture? Why Genesis 15? Why Genesis 15:6? Why not way back in Genesis 12, for instance? In my commentary, I say, is there something within the story that would cause any reader to make the same assumption? What was going on in the mind of the Holy One? I mean, really, we can't know for sure, but perhaps, I say, we can draw some conclusions by looking at the passage from a telescopic overview. In other words, zoom your camera out. Let's go to the macro for a moment, and I want you to allow me to elaborate. I believe that the flow of the Genesis narrative has been an interactive look at Abraham and his contending with God ever since God called him away from his native land in Genesis chapter 12, uh, starting in verses 1 through 3. There, what we can read about in what amounts to a unilateral agreement, we find that Hashem promises to increase Abraham's offspring beyond numbering. I call this the promise of multiplicity. The corresponding covenant ceremony that we, we're going to later read about in verses uh 7 through 20 in those Pesukim of chapter 15 is, I think, um, uh, 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 I think that is where we see the final culmination of this exchange that began in Genesis chapter 12. But leading up to this point, right, so we kind of got these bookends. We got Genesis um, 12 and then Genesis 17 is kind of the larger bookends of our bookshelf here. This, the, the, the part that I'm focusing on. But right smack dab in the middle is Genesis 15. So leading up to this point and trailing afterwards, right? Genesis 15 is kind of the zenith or the peak, if you could, if you could draw it as a graph. It's the high point of the graph. So leading up to this high point and then trailing out afterwards is a grammatical clue, in my opinion, as to what or whom Avraham actually placed his trust in. So, Listen up. In Bereshit 12.1, in Genesis 12.1, Moshe recalls that Adonai spoke to Avram. So if we look at uh, the Hebrew of, of uh, Genesis 12.1, we have Vayomer Adonai El Avram. That's the footnote to number 92. Uh, Adonai speaks to Avram. If we trace every occurrence where God and Avram interact, where God and Avram, right? So Adonai and Avram, if we use the Hebrew as our clue, I think we're going to discover something quite interesting. Continuing with our investigation, we find that Hashem appears to Avram in Genesis 12:17, which in the Hebrew reads Vaya, uh, what is it? Vayera Adonai el Avram, Vayera, and appeared God to Avram. And so we still got Adonai and Avram uh, kind of interacting with one another in these two verses. So that's Genesis 12, 17. And then in chapter 13, right, Genesis 13, verse 14, we got Adonai again speaking to Avram. Adonai speaks 
to Avram. If you look at footnote number 94, we've got Va'adonai Amar El Avram. For those of you who can read the Hebrew, uh, you can see that I've got Adonai and Avram. Then I've got Adonai, then I've got uh, Avram, then I've got uh, Adonai and Avram. So uh, in the Hebrew, it's the same names used all three times. But, but watch this. When we arrive at chapter 15, the passage we just read in our, um, in our liturgy tonight, when we get to Genesis 15, the narrative appears quite odd. Something changes. Remember, this is Moshe writing under the inspiration of the Ruch HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Instead of God appearing or speaking to Avram, instead of Adonai, which is the, the, the tetragrammaton name of God, yod heh what some people pronounce as Yahweh, some people pronounce as Jehovah, instead of God appearing or speaking to Avram, the first clause of the first verse of Genesis 15 reads this way, and this is why we read this out of the, uh, of the, um, of the liturgy. It says, Achar hadvarim devar Adonai el Avram. After these things, the word of the Lord, Davar Adonai, came to Avram. Davar Adonai? Likewise, if we jump down to verse 4 of the same passage that I read in my liturgy, verse 4 confesses, Vahine davar Adonai elive le more. Devar Adonai? So we've got two verses suddenly that have Devar Adonai. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying. So, verse 6 of chapter 15 is the verse we read, and it's the verse that reveals Avram's reaction to the word of the Lord by stating that it was at this moment that Abraham believed the unbelievable, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So remember, you have to remember to make this really to re- make this really sink in. You have to remember that up to this point, Avram had remained childless. So God promised this promise of multiplicity way back in Genesis twelve. You know, Abraham, look to the star. I'm sorry, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make your name great. I'm going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Right? Abraham's receiving this this unbelievable promise from God that he's going to have this this innumerable people group come after him. And yet, up to this point, he doesn't even have one. You know, it'd be different if he had like one who was sickly, but he doesn't even have one. So we have to remember that. That's kind of what carries the force of the fact that Abraham believes God. He believes God against unbelievable odds. Remember, Abraham was childless. And Abraham... uh, arguably so, was beginning to suppose that maybe the heir of his household was to be the recipient of God's promise from Genesis 12, 1 through 3, uh, Eliezer of Damascus. So if we look at footnote number 95, we can see um, uh, footnote number 95 is, Genes- is uh, uh, Genesis 15, 2 through 3, which corresponds with, uh, I guess, with Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So the narrative of chapter 15 uh, remember, we're, we're describing this kind of as zenith, the, the peak of the mountain. The narrative of chapter 15 trails off uh, in the Hebrew with statements amounting to, quote, Adonai said to him, I am Adonai, which is verse 7. Uh, in the Hebrew, uh, footnote number 96 uh, reads, Vayomer uh, ani Adonai. And uh, also we have this verse, quote, that day Adonai made a covenant with Avram, which is verse 18 of Genesis 15. Footnote number 97 reads, 
Bayom Hahu Karat Adonai et Avram Brit. So again, we have these Adonai Adonai. We don't. Have, we, in other words, what happened to the Davar Adonai that was that showed up in the, those uh, those few verses? Who or what? I am going to talk about next week. Who or what is this mysterious? Word of the Lord that suddenly, we're going to play with that word suddenly next week as well. Who or what was this word of the Lord that suddenly appeared in the parenthesis of the narrative with Avram? We'll have to wait till next week to find out, so we'll leave you with that cliffhanger. All right, let's close in prayer. And for those of you who are in the live study with me tonight via Skype, uh, we'll open the microphones up after I finish praying. And uh, you're certainly welcome to share your comments or questions with me. Okay, let's close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name. And I thank you for revealing your truths to us. Lord, we are so grateful that you have given us words of life so that we can order our lives after them, so that we can uh, 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 follow in the footsteps of the Messiah who in, who in fact followed in your words. We know that Yeshua uh, uh, himself stated that he l ever lived to to be obedient and do the will of the Father. And so if we want to be like the Master, then we need to do your will as well. We need to follow in the footsteps of Messiah. We need to follow after your words. And therefore, if we want to know what your words are, we have to read them. We have to study them. We have to press in. We have to, as I keep saying, hide your words in our heart. We have to seek after your face. We have to know that it is your Holy Spirit that causes us to fall in love with the Messiah over and over again on a daily basis. Lord, if we're not pressing in daily, we are going to fail to see the rich uh, blessings and the power that is available to us. I think it was Billy Sunday who said, a life without prayer is a life without power. And so, Lord, let us ever seek to uh, draw close to you via prayer, via careful study, via dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to fall in love with the Messiah over and over again, but not to forsake our first love. Forgive us where we fail you. Forgive us where we uh, uh, are negligent of, of Torah study. Forgive us where we are uh, um, uh, faulty in our Torah obedience. Forgive us where we are um, unforgiving in our love for one another. For indeed you have... Uh, you have commanded us, love your neighbor as yourself, even as we, um, uh, love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. These are the two greatest commandments, Lord. Help us to walk in them. Thank you, Lord, for each and every student that has joined me tonight. I pray that you'll continue to heal us, Lord. Blessed are you, Lord, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. Thank you, Lord, for healing me and bringing my, returning my voice to me so that I can speak words of Torah and so that I can be a blessing to those who are listening to these commentaries. I pray that you'll continue to give me holy boldness to speak out, to speak the truth, to speak against the lies, and to take a stand against the adversary. For indeed, as we put on the armor of Ephesians chapter 6, we will be able to take a stand against the adversary. Thank you, Lord, for all of these wonderful truths. And we'll be careful to give it the praise and the glory. Bashem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. 
And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>